I invite you to take your Bibles, if you will, and turn with me to the New Testament book of Philippians, Paul's letter to the church at Philippi, Philippians chapter 2, Philippians chapter 2, we get at verse 5, and while you're turning, I want to share a praise with you. God has been doing some amazing things in and through the life of our church, and, and we're grateful to God to be able to serve in his name and on behalf of of Jesus Christ, and as we were kind of going through the the fall, the last uh, the last few months of 2018, we were kind of watching, trying to discern, you know, who's God calling us to be, and uh, we were looking at, at at our stewardship and trying to look at projecting how things would go, and will we be able to fulfill all of our obligations and our commitments to ministry and mission, our missions and ministry. Uh, budget or spending plan is somewhere around three point six million dollars, and and so you know we had been we were just kind of watching to see you know will we be able to do this, and if not, uh, what are some of the areas where we might would change? December of twenty seventeen was the best December stewardship wise in the history of our church, and so we were kind of looking at that as we were projecting where God might would take us. Just to share with you, December of twenty eighteen surpassed. December of 2017 by over $131,000, which allowed us to be able to complete all the commitments that we have in ministry and mission. And, and what a privilege it is to be able to share that. I'll be honest, I was getting a little nervous. And, and I think sometimes God may let us get a little nervous so that we pray. And so I prayed. And, and, and so, you know, it's amazing to see what God has done and God is able uh, to do through his church. I mean, we have amazing ministries with children. As you know, we just vowed that we would help raise another child in the Christian faith and life. We have ministries here and at our campus in Monroe that's in Spanish or bilingual service that we have there. And we started the new His Kids ministry, which is a ministry for special needs kids. And, and to be able to know that we're able to, to carry out that ministry and to, and to do the things that, that we're called to do. We, we are so blessed in this church. We have youth ministers that walk alongside of our youth as they're discerning their faith and what it means to be a Christian in today's world. We send them on mission trips where they're able to experience uh, other parts of the world and, and, and to experience how God is at work in other places in the world. We, we have an orphanage in Kenya, as you know, where uh, we have like 70 kids. And, and the amazing thing is these children were eating out of a landfill until a family in our church saw that about 10, 11 years ago and gave the seed money for us to start the home of the Good Shepherd. And uh, we've been able to get children off the streets and out of the landfills. And uh, it's just been amazing to see in the ministries that we have there. We support a, a church with a pastor in Romania with Christian Estrate and his wife Legia, who do an amazing thing. There are only three Methodist churches in Romania. And you support one of those churches and the pastor and the family and, and make that ministry possible there. And, same way, you know, I could just go on and on and on with what God is doing. I'm on the board with our crisis assistance ministry, and, and we were just kind of looking at the lives that are touched and changed, and we're one of the mo major contributors to crisis assistance, both in Mecklenburg and Union County. So I just want you to know that your stewardship makes an amazing difference. But praise be to God for God's faithfulness through His church and for the lives that can be changed in the name of and on behalf of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I think it is okay for you to celebrate what God is and has done.
I know some of us are sleeping better at night. Philippians chapter 2, beginning of verse 5. Paul says, Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness. And being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every other name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Amen. The Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. God, we're just so grateful for your love and grace. And God, I give you thanks for the privilege now as we study the scripture together to stand before these, your people, your church. So as I stand before these, your people, I pray that this would be your message and not my own through the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Have you ever wondered what it'd be like if you could just get in someone else's mind just for a little while? Sometimes you look over and and you see somebody and you see the wheels are just really spinning and you're wondering, wonder what's going on in there? One of the things I love about a little one like this is is, is sometimes you watch these little ones like Overton and you, you, you know those little wheels are spinning. You see them connecting. You see them looking around, taking it all in. And, and, and you just wish, I just would give anything to know what is he thinking right now? What's going on in that little mind? Several years ago, there was a movie called Look Who's Talking that kind of gave us a little bit of a glimpse of maybe what a kid would be saying, especially when we're making all these weird noises and faces in front of them going, seriously, act like an adult. <laughs> I mean, you wonder what's going on in these, in these little minds, and, and we share with people, I'll give you a penny for your thoughts. We just want to know, what are you thinking? What are you feeling? One of my nephews is autistic. And, and he's just an incredible little boy to watch and, and to experience him. And, and we, were, we were at a dinner not that long ago and just watching him take his little toys and he lines them up in an amazingly straight row. They're in a specific order as well and they have exactly the same amount of space in between each toy. And you're just, you're just amazed at that little mind and they're working. He's not verbal, so it's hard to, to figure out what is he thinking, but you can watch. And you knew there was a complex mind in there at work. Then one of his cousins or somebody would come and mess with his stuff, which would really irritate him. And then when he was finished, when they were finished, the toys would be lined back up in exactly the same order they were in before with exactly the exact same spacing in between them. An amazing mind. And I thought, wouldn't it be great just to, if we knew what he was thinking, if you could just experience, because there's an incredible young man in there with an incredible mind that's at work. Sometimes we even look at people, we go, what, what are you thinking? Sometimes I'll look over at my wife and I can tell the wheels are spinning. And I'll go, what are you thinking? Sometimes when I was growing up, my parents would look at me and ask a similar question, worded slightly differently, like, what were you thinking? <laughs> They're like, were you even thinking? I mean, what was going on in that mind of yours that would cause you to do something like this? I mean, sometimes we're curious, what it would be like to be in someone else's mind? And yet Paul here says, you are to be. He says, I want you to have the mind of Christ. 
Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. To have the mind of Christ, that doesn't sound like necessarily the easiest thing to be able to do. When John Wesley was asked about Jesus saying we're called to be perfect, what does that mean? He reflected on that and discerned that to be made perfect, like God is perfect according to what Jesus said to us, would be to be habitually filled with the love of God and neighbor, which I love the way he said that. It wasn't just love God and neighbor, but to be habitually filled with the love of God and neighbor. That's just part of who we are. To have the mind of Christ and to walk as Jesus walked. To have the mind of Christ. Loving God, loving others, to have the mind of Christ. The Wesley Study Bible says that the mind of Christ refers to the thoughts, emotions, the values that led Christ to give His life for us. So what does it mean for us to have the mind of Christ today? Well, one of the things when you start looking at the Gospels, thinking about you know, what does it mean to have the mind of Christ, I was looking back through you know, the Gospels, the four Gospels, looking at what Jesus did, discerning what can we, what can we grasp about the mind of Christ. And one of the things that you see very clearly is that Jesus knew what his calling and his purpose was and he was stuck, going to stick with it regardless. Nothing was going to distract him from what his calling was and who he was called to be. As a matter of fact, we, we've been studying the Gospel of John on Wednesday nights in our Bible study and, and, and we were looking this past week at John chapter 3 and it's, it's an amazingly beautiful scripture but it shows us that Jesus clearly understood what his calling was. He's having a conversation with a man by the name of Nicodemus. And he's talking to Nicodemus about what it means to be born again. And it's in this conversation that we get the beautiful John 3.16, that for God so loved the world. Now one of the things I want to encourage you when you read John 3.16 is don't read it like a preacher. And I say that as one. I mean, sometimes when we read John 3.16, we go, for God so loved the world. Well, don't read it like that. That's not the way Jesus said it. Jesus was in a conversation with one person. He wasn't talking to a crowd. He was talking to one person at night who came to him and was having conversation. And, and Jesus had been having an intimate conversation with him when, when Jesus got to that point. And I picture Jesus maybe even placing his hands on Nicodemus' shoulders as he said to him, for God so loved the world. He's talking to one. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And then I think Jesus looked at him and he said, you see, and verse 17 is just as important. God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. I mean, wow. I mean, Jesus knew this is my purpose, this is my calling, and, and Satan tried everything he could do to distract Jesus from it. I love the fact that it, you know, when Jesus is baptized in Matthew chapter 3, the heavens open, the Spirit descends, and you hear God say, this is my Son. You are my Son, the Beloved, with whom I'm well pleased. And then immediately you turn to chapter 4, Jesus goes out in the wilderness, and after he'd been there for a while, Satan gets all over him, trying to tempt him. Well, if you are the Son of God, I mean, after all, that's what God just said, but if you really are the Son of God, and I know you've got to be hungry, just turn these stones into bread. In other words... If you're the Son of God, use that power for yourself. And Jesus, well, that's not, that's not my purpose. He takes him up on the temple, the pinnacle of the temple is like the steeple of the church, and he says, well, why don't you jump from here? Because if you really are the Son of God, 
I mean, the Scripture says that, that he, will not, he will not allow you to dash your foot against the stone, so the angels will catch you. The angels will catch you. Jump. And he goes, no. That's not my purpose. We're not going to test God. That's not my purpose. Well, then he shows him all the kingdoms of the world. If you'll just bow down and worship me, you can have all of this. And, and Jesus said, that's not why I'm here. He knew his calling. He knew his purpose. He knew what he was supposed to do. As a matter of fact, we learn in John chapter 6 when Jesus feeds the 5,000, although it really was not 5,000. The Scripture said it was 5,000 men, not counting the women and the children. So if you add the men, the women, the children, and everybody around, it was probably more like fifteen or 20,000 people, and all he has is five loaves and two fish, and, and he blesses and feeds the crowds, and the crowds are going, this is absolutely amazing. I mean, just look what he did. He fed all these people with all that. Let's make him king. I mean, that would be tempting to most of us. You want to be the king? Do I get the palace? You get the palace. Uh-huh. Do I get the horses and the chariots? Yes, the horses and the chariots. Those new chariots, their speed balance, Bluetooth, I mean, all the way. I mean, you got it, whatever you want. They're all yours. I can have this, yes, you can have that, all right. Well, Jesus realized they were going to make him king. And John said, he slipped away. He snuck out. That wasn't his purpose. That's not why he came. And although the temptation was there, that's not, that's not what he was about. You, you see Jesus really struggle in the Garden of Gethsemane. If you, if you want to know the temptation, that's it. Luke tells us that when Satan finished the temptations of Jesus, he left him till a more opportune time. It's not a more opportune time than when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane. I mean, what more opportune time is there when you're you're kneeling down to pray knowing the soldiers are coming to get you and you're about to be beaten and crucified. And Jesus knew what crucifixion looked like. He wasn't the first person to be crucified. The Romans crucified on a regular basis. It was death by cruelty. They would place you on that cross, put a sign over your head to tell you what you did, thief or whatever it might be, murderer, whatever it might be. And, and they hung you outside of town so that as others came into town, they would look up and see what was going on and go, you do what he did, you get what he got. That's, that was the whole thing. So Jesus knew what was coming. That's why Matthew 26 tells us that, that He threw Himself on the ground to pray. I mean, picture that. He didn't come in and go quietly, you know, kind of pull up, you know, His pant legs, just kneel down very gently. He's going to have a nice little silent prayer. He fell down. He threw Himself down on the ground. We're told that He was sweating profusely like drops of blood and crying out, God, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from Me. Three times. But then he prayed, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. I mean, this is why I'm here. This was my calling. To die that others might be forgiven. And to rise that they might have life. And nothing was going to deter him from it. To have the mind of Christ means that, that we discern who is God calling us to be? What is the purpose of Christ in our lives? What is God wanting us to do and God wanting us to be individually as Christians together as the church? Who is this church being called to be? And what is God calling us to do and, and to be focused on God's will, not our own, and nothing's going to distract us from it? To have the mind of Christ means that we humble ourselves. Paul, in writing to the church at Philippi, said, Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality as something to be with God as something to be exploited, but rather he humbled himself. He humbled himself and took on human likeness. 
and became obedient even to the point of death. To have the mind of Christ means a mind of humility. It's hard in our world today because we tend to make everything about us. I was listening to an interview the other day, I think it was Jamie Lee Curtis that's come out with a new book called Me, My Selfie, and I. I thought that was kind of a, a neat little thing because, you know, everything's about us now. It used to be that we took a camera and we took a picture of something out there. Now we take a camera and we take a picture of us in whatever it is out there. As a matter of fact, I will tell you, I did a wedding in this sanctuary one time and it about drove me nuts, because I, but I didn't say anything about it because I literally was just amazed when the bride is getting ready to come down the aisle and I see someone in the pew... Looking back there, you know, and making sure they get the bride in the background, but I got to be there first. And you realize what that says about our world today that it's no longer about her, it's about me being here at her wedding. Wow. You know, it, we tend to make things about us. The mind of Christ is one of humility. I mean, picture this in John chapter 13. John tells us that when Jesus was in the upper room, he doesn't tell us a lot about he took bread and blessed and broke it, he took the cup and blessed it and gave it to the disciples. John doesn't tell us a lot about that. What John tells us is that Jesus was meeting with his disciples, he got up from the table, took off his outer garment, got on his knees and washed the disciples' feet. Now that was the job of the servants. I mean, you walked everywhere in biblical times and, and people wore the sandals and it was wilderness, arid kind of land. So you came in and your feet would be covered in dust and dirt. And so when you came in, it was the job of the servant to get down on their knees so you didn't have to do it yourself and wash your feet. And what Jesus did was Jesus got up, the Son of God. John tells us that He is God in human form, that God Himself got up got on his knees and washed the disciples' feet. And then Jesus said, now just as I've done this to you, you should do this for one another, to humble yourselves and to serve one another. Humility. C.S. Lewis, in his book, Mere Christianity, says that pride is spiritual cancer. It eats up the very possibility of love or contentment or even common sense. William Law, who was a priest in the Church of England, theological writer, and he wrote a book called A Serious Call to the Devout and Holy Life, and in it he says, there, is no, there can be no surer proof of confirmed pride than a belief that one is sufficiently humble. I mean, that's kind of like saying, I am humble and proud of it. There's your sign, as Bill Ingall would say. And Jonathan Edwards said, we must view humility as one of the most essential things that characterizes true Christianity. Humility. When we begin to see ourselves differently. And here's the beautiful thing. When we see ourselves properly, we can then see others differently. And the other sign of the mind of Christ is that of compassion. Jesus' mind would see others with value and love. He did not look at disdain with people, but he valued them. This weekend, we celebrate Martin Luther King Jr. And one of the things that Dr. King tried to share with us was to look at people not from who they are on the outside, but who they are on the inside and who God created us to be in the image of God as people that God has made. 
Jesus had the ability to see things differently. Amy Grant wrote, had a song uh, several years ago that came out called Father's Eyes, My Father's Eyes. You know, sometimes we look at a kid and we go, there is no denying that's your child because that child looks just like you. Well, the purpose of the song or the point of the song was to kind of point out if we are just like our God, what attribute would we have? And and the song says, I want to have my father's eyes. I want to be able to see things the way God sees them. And she says, eyes full of compassion. For Jesus was filled with compassion. For example, Matthew tells us in Matthew 14, when Jesus fed the 5,000, Jesus had had a really bad day. A really bad day. As a matter of fact, he had heard about John the Baptist being killed and, and things were just kind of rough at the moment. And so actually, Jesus goes to the shore, gets in a boat to go to the other side because he needed to be alone. He got in a boat, we're told, to go across to a deserted place and be all by himself. He just needed to be alone. But when he gets to the other side, the crowds realize that he was coming and the crowds had already gathered. And when Jesus got off the boat, here were all the crowds. And Jesus did not say, man, these people, I can't get away from these people. Everywhere I go, there's these people. Heal me for this. Heal me for that. Everybody needs healing. You know, Jesus didn't rant and rave and get all frustrated, but rather, as bad a day as he had had, losing someone that he dearly loved, Matthew 14, 14 says that when he went ashore, he saw the crowd and he had compassion for them and he cured their sick. When we start seeing ourselves properly with humility, then we can start seeing others differently with compassion. As a matter of fact, Matthew 9.35 said, Then Jesus went about all the cities and the villages, teachings in their synagogues, proclaiming good news of the kingdom, curing every disease and every sickness. And when He saw the crowds, He had compassion for them. For they were like sheep without a shepherd. And I love in Matthew 20 the story of the two blind men. And I just think it's interesting that there are two of them because that must have meant they were so alone that they finally teamed up. I'm hurting, you're hurting. Maybe if we at least work together. Maybe if we at least lean on each other, we can help each other through life. And so who knows how long these two blind men had been together just trying to survive. But they hear that Jesus is coming through and and they start yelling out to Jesus and And Matthew 20, 34 says that moved with compassion, Jesus touched their eyes. Moved with compassion. He touched their eyes. Our our challenge is to have the mind of Christ. One that, that understands who we're called to be. One that understands humility when if God Himself is willing to humble Himself and take on human form and then even kneel down and wash our feet, surely we can humble ourselves. And when we see ourselves properly, then to be able to see others differently with the eyes of compassion. But Paul warns us. He says in Romans 12, verse 2, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Philippians 4, 7, he says, And and the peace of God which passes all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And in 2 Corinthians 11.3, he shows that he's nervous because he says, but I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by its cunning, 
your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. To have the mind of Christ. Paul says that's our challenge. Nancy and I have now been married for 34 years. It's hard to believe we got married when we were 10. (laughs) Actually, we got married when we were 20. And so you can do the math because that's the nice thing about getting married on a kind of an even year is like, how long have you been married? How old am I? Minus 20. 34 years. 34 years we've been married. And that makes life interesting because after being together for so long, we have started thinking alike. It's kind of eerie. As a matter of fact, it drives our kids crazy that sometimes we'll be in a conversation and both of us at the exact same time will respond to something they said verbatim with each other. And I said, Andrew, you people have been together way too long. I mean, we can finish each other's sentences. We kind of know what the other one is thinking, which is not always a good thing. I mean, one day, it wasn't long ago, I was talking to my son and, and we were talking about something and, and, and I gave him an answer and he goes, this is unreal. I said, what? He goes, I just got off the phone with mom. She said the exact same thing. We don't even have to be together anymore. We use the force. Years of marriage, sharing life together and, and, and pretty soon you're able to almost think as the other one thinks. It comes from years of intimate relationship, which is exactly what we're called to have with Christ. To have the mind of Christ, to be able to think as he would think, to be able maybe even to finish the sentence of Jesus Christ and and to be able to see what God would see in our world and to know how God would act and how God would want us to react. Well, that comes from spending time together. Our goal is to have the mind of Christ. To be so focused on who God is calling us to be that we'll let nothing distract us from it. That we will fill our lives with humility because to have the mind of Christ is to have the mind of one who would leave the glory of heaven to come and serve and make a difference for others. And when we have the mind of Christ, with a spirit of humility, and we see ourselves properly, we will see others differently and see them with eyes of compassion. And where we reach out and we touch and care about others, our temptation in our world today is not even to see others, much less have compassion for them. To have the mind of Christ means to think like Christ and then to act like Him when we realize what he would have us to do and to be. So Paul looks at you today, the church, and says, let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Will you pray with me? God, you call on us to be different. And you call on us to have the mind that was in Christ. And so, God, we just pray that you would help us to have the mind and the heart of Christ. That we would know who you're calling us to be individually as Christians and together as the church. That we would be committed to the purpose that, that you have given to us and not let anything lead us astray. Nothing to distract. 
that we would experience a life of humility to realize that it's not all about us, but it's about you. You exalted Christ and Christ alone and said it's to him that every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. So help us to have a spirit of humility. And since we then see ourselves properly, help us to see others differently with compassion. And help us, dear God, we pray, to see the needs around us, to hear the cries, to see the calls, and to respond as you would respond. Help us to grow in our relationship with you to the point that we would know what you think and say what you would say. All in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.